Well, today is another passage that's kind of more of a selected scripture, so I don't have a place for you to turn to right at the moment, but you have your uh, handout to take notes on. You can follow along with the PowerPoint. Um, I, I want to say thanks for having me. Alejandro did the right thing and gave me a camp t-shirt, and I was going to wear it, and I, I forgot it. Um, when, I, when I'm cold, I can't really think. Um, but thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's been great to, to see you follow along and listen, and I hope that uh, you're applying the lessons and you've had a good time in your discussion groups, kind of processing through all of that. Um, I, I do understand we have, uh, Countryside's been coming to Camp Copus for, I believe, 20 years now, and I've been a part of, of most of those treks out this way, so I know that none of you slept last night. I've slept in the bed, all right, and it's, it's not the most comfortable, but it works, it's great, right? Uh, my parents, actually, when they were young, um, they came to Camp Copus. Uh, they have summer retreats and stuff like that. And uh, I think it's the same mattress uh, that they had, and they're in their 70s. So I get it. You might be a little tired. You might be a little tempted to, to nod off, but I hope that you follow along and you apply what we are learning here, all right? Um, when it comes to our lesson today, I just want to start out with the question, what kind of friend have you been on this retreat? It's really easy to hear the lessons and say, yes, yes, I'm going to do that for you, Lord. I'm going to do that for you. But when we talk about the six characteristics of biblical friendship, have you been knit together in love? Have you been self-sacrificing? Have you been devoted? Is there maybe an opportunity you should have mediated? You know, have you reached out to other people and, and, and tried to include them with what's going on? Have there been influences? There's rules. We don't like rules, right? But have there been influences that are getting you to, to look the other way or to break the rules that have been put in place and things along those lines? You've got to separate yourself from that. But what kind of friend have you been on this retreat? And the reality is you are young. And if you are a Christian, at most you've been a Christian for, I don't know, maybe, maybe 10 years at most, if you were really young when you came to know the Lord, maybe just a few years and if you're a young Christian, you'll grow in Christ's likeness as you get older, okay? Elders are not the same people when they first became Christians. That, that's how it works. So you put off sin, you put on righteousness, you read, you learn, you grow, you dedicate, you sin, you repent, and then, then you grow. And y'all are at a, at a level where you've been a Christian just for a little while, and that's not an excuse to sin, but think of anything that you started. When you start learning to play the piano or the guitar, things like that, you, you don't start at expert level. And sin is something we're going to battle our whole life, and we need to keep growing in it. But it also could be the possibility that you haven't applied any of this because you just simply don't care. Like, you like singing the songs, and you like playing the part, and you like putting on the mask, but you really don't love Christ. And so when it comes to being a good friend, you're not interested in that. Well, you need to recognize your sin and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only solution there for you. Today, we're going to talk about the obstacles to friendship, the obstacles to friendship. And when you think of like an obstacle course, that sounds cool because there's things that you have to like climb over and swim through and all sorts of stuff. That Ninja Warrior show was popular for a time. I don't know if it still is. And you had the warped wall and all that stuff. And I'm like, I would, I would fall on the first thing. I don't have any balance, things like that. Tall, long people aren't good at holding on to those dumb things and going across. But these obstacles aren't the good obstacles. I want to, so if you're sitting here saying, I want to be a good friend, I want good friendships, I have friends, I want to strengthen, what are the obstacles that we are looking at? And what do you think? And again, I don't want you to say, you know, something as specific as, you know, Avery smells sometimes, and so that's an obstacle for being her friend. And I just picked that name out of a hat, okay? All right, because we know that that's not true of anyone named Avery in this room that they smell or anything like that. But what, are, what do you think are some obstacles to applying what we've talked about, to being the friend that you should be? Yeah. Pride. Yeah. Pride's a big one. I want to do things my way. You need to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. What would be another one? 
Yes. Selfishness. Selfishness. Yeah. You guys like are reading my notes. Yeah, I agreed. I want this. This is mine. I'm not going to share with you. Okay? What else do you think? Ignorance. Okay, ignorance. Not really understanding. Taylor? Oh, you can resent people. Yeah? Fox? Fear of man? Yeah, there are... I'm going to start with some kind of surface level type of examples. For instance, distance is reality. Your friend groups probably live somewhat close to you, and you have a unique situation where you are connected by truth. You are connected by a church, right? And that's great. There are churches in the South Lake area, and I just know that's where the Carroll kids go. That is where the Colleyville kids go. That's what they do. They're connected by a school, and so they find a church, and that's where they go. And so their commonality, they, they live together and they go to school together, but countryside and North Lake is different. We are connected by doctrine. The, the truth of the word is what brings us together. Well, some of you live in Timbuktu. Some of you live in the same neighborhood as the church. You walk to church, right? We have some people that live two hours away that drive to countryside. I don't know why, because they drive by some good churches, but it, it, it just happens that way. So distance really is an obstacle. If, when, when I was growing up, it, the, the people that I hung out with the most were the kids that were on my street. And eventually those relationships changed, and, but I could just ride my bike to their house. So distance could be, could be that you have a wonderful, great friend in this group, but they just live far away. So that, that can be tough. It could be communication. You know, some of you are not that great at communicating. Uh, you need to actually talk to humans and not just text them all the time. Texting can be a great thing, but... Sometimes there's miscommunications between you, and it's hard to read into context in a, te- in a text. You ever gotten an email or a text from someone, and you're like, oh, I can't believe they'd say that, and they totally didn't mean what you thought they meant, so that can be a barrier, and uh, what I tell people you know, when we're going through premarital counseling and stuff is you can't just text each other. You have to actually talk to each other, talk to each other. Um, it could be you have different interests. It's a reality, okay? You know, I like, uh, you know, poetry and, and painting and, uh, you know, uh, sewing, you know, and some people like sports. And, you know, it's really hard to kind of, or it's the opposite, okay? All right? It's hard to connect with them. We, we like different things. And I, I've shared this before. There was a young man that I was talking with about how's youth group going? And he's like, well, you know, I'm not, not really going. And I'm like, why not? He's like, there's no one that's like me. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I play football. So I hang out with the football guys. And I'm like, oh, so the football guys are a good influence on you. He's like, well, no. So they're kind and loving and, well, no. So what about the people at church? He's like, well, they don't, I mean, they don't go to the same school as me. And they don't play sports. And I'm like, so? Would they be a good influence on you? Yeah. What? I, I don't get it, okay? Uh, it's really interesting in middle school and high school, those things are super, uber important to you. But then when you get into college and it's like all hit reset and you get old like us and it, it's definitely not like that. So don't let those different interests be an obstacle to you. It could be a popularity thing, all right? I'm not willing to, to lower myself to talk to that person that's two grades below or whatever it is because of a popularity. And all of those are, you know, surface level, but then we get into the things like pride. We get to pride. And I want, I think, I'm the bomb or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. Oh, I couldn't talk to them. Pride is a big one. Uh, selfishness. Me, myself, and I, the whole world revolves around me. All right, we're going to do things my way, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to get this. And when you come over to my house, you're going to do what I want, how I want, when I want. And you know what? I don't want to do what you want to do. We need to watch this movie, and we need to listen to this song because it's about, it's about me. Jealousy, that also goes in that resentment that y'all mentioned. A big thing. Hey, they get to, to play this sport, and I don't get to. And they have this money, and I don't have that. And they uh, you know, look like this, and I don't look like that. And I, I'm jealous of them. I'm jealous of them. Uh, hurtful speech, it's a big obstacle. We need to be able to, what, control our tongue and speak with love and graciousness. These things, obviously, pride, selfishness, jealousy, hurtful speech, they are all untrustworthiness. They're all, they're all sin, 
They're all sin. I can't really confide in this person because I know they're going to tell this person this and this and that. And I thought they were my friend and now they're not my friend. And so the beginning of everything is what is your attitude towards sin? What is, what is your relationship towards sin? You see that a right relationship with others starts with the right relationship with the one who created us. And I want you to, to flip to Romans 1. Go to Romans 1. A right relationship with others starts with the right relationship with the one who created us. God Almighty writes the rules of this universe. He is the one that brings joy and happiness and contentment. He is the foundation for all good friendships. Romans 1.16 Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we have been created, but we are depraved. We are slaves to our sin. So you're not going to change pride. You're not going to change selfishness. You're not going to change those things if you're an unbeliever, because that's just who you are. All right. You don't you're not a liar because you told a lie. You are a liar, and so you lie. So you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And the only way to be reconciled to God is through the gospel. Jesus' perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. Repenting and believing. And notice it says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Were the Jews and the Greeks different? <laughs> yes. But they're one in Christ. They're one in Christ. It says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness, unrighteousness, who suppresses the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. For an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And therefore God gave us over to the lust of our hearts. Guys, it starts with this. God is the creator and the owner of all things. He makes the rules. He is the one that determines what is right and wrong. As sinful man, we don't like that. So we take that truth and that knowledge and we suppress it. We sear our hearts and then we make gods of our own choosing. And every individual that does that is now living for the God of self. So you're not going to be unselfish. You're not going to be self-sacrificing. You're not going to put off that pride because you are totally dead in your sin. But if you repent and believe in Jesus... All right, we know that Romans 3.10, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And because of that, we are all hateful and envious, and we have hateful speech towards one another. But if I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I die to my sin, and I am risen anew, 2 Corinthians 5.21, I'm a, a new creation, old things passed away, behold, new things have come. And now the Holy Spirit indwells me, and I want to love other people, and I want to do what's right. I can now be the friend that he wants me to be. I mean, how many rich, powerful, lonely people die by themselves? Sin does not satisfy, money does not satisfy, only God. A right relationship with others starts with a right relationship with the one who created us. A right relationship with your creator only comes on his terms. Let's stay in Romans. It only comes on his terms because he is the one who created us and therefore he is the one who owns us. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Unbeliever, you are at war with the one who created you. 
and you need to repent and believe, and then you are brought near to the one who created you. And all of those who place their faith in Christ are now at peace with their creator, and they are brought together in one. Look at verse 6 of Romans 5. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So a right relationship with others starts with a right relationship with the one who created us. And a right relationship with your creator only comes on his terms. You can't work your way to heaven, people. You can't go to church enough to earn his favor. You can't give enough money to buy your way into the kingdom. You must repent and believe. Bow the knee to your Lord and master, Jesus. And then a right relationship with your creator enables you to enjoy what he's given to you. Do you get that? Guys, you've been given so much. The ability just to come on this trip is great. A home, life, parents, food. But how often are we ungrateful for those things? Well, if we are in Christ, it gives us the right perspective. Helps us to enjoy that. I want you to go to Genesis 2. Genesis, and I know it's hard to write and turn at the same time. You guys are doing a great job with it. Genesis 2, 18. Looking at the marriage relationship, all right, you need quality friendship in marriage, right? Then the Lord said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper super suitable for him. God looked at Adam and said, look, Adam needs help. And as a good and gracious and benevolent God, he gives him the help, doesn't he? And out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them and whatever the man called the living creature, that's what it's named. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a suitable helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh at that place and the Lord God fashioned into, woman, uh, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall be, or he shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You see that God loves us, and he gives us what we need. Here is an example. Adam was alone, so God provided. In this life, God will provide to you friends, will provide those friendships, but you have to do things God's way and enjoy them, all right? If you have two friends, and they both love Jesus more than anything, They're reading the word, they're encouraging each other, they're building up. Those two friends can enjoy the blessing that God has given. How does salvation help us in our friendships? How does salvation help us in our friendships? Well, salvation makes us a new creation. Titus 3, for we once also were foolish ourselves. So this is us before Jesus. We were foolish disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That, that's you before Christ. Now, if you're an unbeliever, that's still you. That's, you are still hateful, hating one another. You are. Because you are in a battle with your creator who has designed you to worship him and to follow him. But Christian, that's what we were, but when the kindness, verse 4, of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he what? He saved us. He saved us. He made us a new creation. Old things passed away, new things have come. You know what, guys? I can love now because God loved me first and because I'm a believer. Salvation makes us a new creation, and salvation begins the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to turn to Galatians 5. 
And you're very familiar with these verses, right? But this is so important to our ability to be friends, to be friends. Let's go to Galatians 5, 22. Look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit who indwells me as a Christian who now I have, the, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Spirit indwells me, is what? Love. Do you need love when it comes to friendship? Yes. Joy. You need that. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I am not a very patient person. The only patience I have is through the Holy Spirit. But do I need patience in my relationships? Yeah. Do I need a peaceful mindset and attitude in my relationships? Yeah. Where, where do I get it? I can only get it through the Holy Spirit, right? Only get it through the Holy Spirit. So let's say that you're a Christian, okay? So I'm saved now. Does that mean that all the obstacles have been removed? It's all gonna be hunky-dory and we're gonna sit around the campfire of life and sing Kumbaya, my Lord, or play that weird dominion game or whatever you guys are doing. Don't forget, we still have a battle with our unredeemed humanness, okay? So I have been made a new creation, but I still have this, what we call the, Paul calls it the flesh in Romans 7, but it's not actually your, your body, this, this unredeemed humanness that we won't get rid of until we go to glory with God. Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present, but the doing is not. He says, I really want to do it. I really want to do it. But sometimes I just don't. Well, why is that? For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, this isn't some excuse where he's like, I'm robot, robot me is sinning, I can't control. He's saying, I really want to do the right thing, but sometimes I make the wrong choice. Sometimes I make the sinful choice. He says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So you get that? This is the apostle Paul, guys. And he says, let's just take friendship. He wants to be the type of friend that he's supposed to be, but he finds himself being selfish at times. He finds that pride monster taking over. He finds himself being jealous. Well, what do you do with that? Well, go back to Galatians 5. Go back to Galatians 5. Look at verse 16. Paul tells them, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Well, what does that mean? Walk by the Spirit. He says, for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the things of the like, which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The unbeliever lives these, lives these and loves these. The believer has repented of these and has placed their faith in Christ, but there's still that temptation and there's still that battle. So we need to make sure that we what? That we follow Christ, that we are led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. What was going on in the church in Galatia? Guys, there was some Judaizers that crept in. Verse 11 of chapter two. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is Peter himself. There were people that crept in that said, oh yeah, 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 believe in Jesus, but you also need to add the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to observe the Sabbath. And even Peter himself kind of got caught up in a little bit of this. And Paul called him out on it. He opposed him. And he is presenting a solution to this problem. 
There are people thinking that they are saved in part by their good works. And he says, look, the solution to this is love. The solution to this is love. Galatians 5, look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think of the Ten Commandments. First four commandments are about loving who? God. The other commandments, why do I honor and obey my parents? Because I love God and I love people. Why do I not kill other people? Because I love them. Why do I not steal their stuff? Because I love them. Why do I not covet their stuff? Because I love them, right? So he says the solution here is love. Well, how do I get the ability to love? I have to be a Christian. Because before I was a Christian, I just hated. I was selfish. I need love. That's easy to say, but it's hard to do, isn't it? So the solution for the condition is to walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit, cultivate the work of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you will make good choices and decision. When it comes to walking by the Spirit, there is this battle that is within. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. So I need to recognize there's a battle. Okay? If you go to war against someone, you're ready. You're prepared. You got your gun ready. You got your, your ammo. You got your drones fired up. Battle. But imagine if you're just walking by and you had no idea there was a, oh, you're not ready. Guys, there's a battle and it's raging on within you. So you have to realize that there is that battle there. And with that battle, this enemy within, there's a a couple of books that are really helpful. If you've never read it, The Enemy Within by Chris Lungard. What it is, there's a book by a Puritan named John Owen, which no one really understands what the Puritans wrote, but he summarized what they've wrote, all right? You can read the Puritan one, John Owen, Mortification of Sin, go for it. But if you get confused, then go get The Enemy Within by Chris Lungard. And it talks about this battle that's within. So why are you not the perfect friend? You're a Christian, right? But you're not the perfect friend. Well, you still have this battle going on with sin. And you need to mortify, you need to kill sin in your life so that you can be the type of friend that you want to be. If you're going to practice pridefulness, if you're going to practice selfishness, it's not going to change and help you be a good friend. What, what are the deeds of the flesh? There's a battle within. You need to recognize that. You need to, to realize that these things are not okay. Outburst of anger is not okay. Does that kill a friendship? Does jealousy kill a friendship? All right. Idolatry, which is elevating anything more important than God, does that not kill a friendship? All right, immorality kills friendships, all of those things. So you need to kill that sin so that you can then put on the fruit of the Spirit. If I have a friend, but I'm going to be selfish with that friendship, you have to do what I want. You have to play what I want. You have to go watch the movie that I want. It's not good. That's not good. So I must kill the flesh and I must practice and put on the fruit of the Spirit. That's it. That's it. Colossians 3 teaches us the the process for biblical change. I set my mind on things above. I put off sin and I put on righteousness. My friend... This would never happen to you, okay? Never happened to you. But let's think a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend that this happened to. I have someone who says something mean about me, and they're supposed to be my friend. What is the sinful way to react to that news? Hypothetically, I know you've never done this. What do you think? Retaliation. Let me get them back. Oh, oh yeah? They said that? Well, let me tell you about them. Hmm. I'm doing that out of jealousy, out of selfishness, am I not? So I need to think, you know what, does God want me to do that? Absolutely not. Jesus died for that sin, right? So the opposite of that would be what? How should I respond? 
Someone says something bad about me, how should I respond? Turn the other cheek. Forgive them. Hey, I, I don't know why they said that. But you know what? I forgive them and I love them. What? Sounds weird. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. I can go to them and say, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm sorry if I did anything. Do you think we could just talk about it? You're not getting angry at them. You're not destroying. You're not going scorched earth. They'll never show their face in this YouTube again when I'm done with them. You find out a friend lied to you. Not that that would ever happen. Hey, do you want to go out? Oh, I can't. My mom said I can't. And then you see their be real that they're at the movies with someone else. And you're like, kids are so dumb. Not you. Not you. Oh, come on. You. I don't know. I have to put off that sin. And I have to say, you know what? I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to do the right thing. Still going to do the right thing. Because, guys, you are going to sin against one another. You are. But you need love. You need joy. You need peace. You need patience. You need all of these things. And when you do that, then you're going to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. What kind of friend do you think Jesus was? It's awesome. People came up to Jesus, strangers. What do you need? What can I do? How can I help? Uh Uh-oh. I'm the son of God here, right? All right? I don't have time for you. Shouldn't you all, like, put me on a a little carrier and, and put me on your shoulders and feed me grapes and fan me with a feather? Isn't that what it is? And I, no, no, no. He came to what? To serve. You know, you know Mark 10.45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So much that we as ignorant, sinful wretches who done nothing but spit in his face, he died for us. Look, I would love this friend, but you just don't know that friend. Oh, Jesus knew us intimately, and he took the nails. He suffocated for us. But why? Because he walked by the Spirit. And I know you're like, what the solution to this biblical friendship is the same thing that Alejandro has been telling me. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need to come to church. I need to fellowship. I need to worship. Yes. It's not a mystery what we need to do. How do I do this? Well, we we call them the essentials at Countryside. Bible study, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, service. I need to be doing all of these things. And then I need to be practicing that process for biblical change. Setting my mind on what God wants, not what I want. Putting off that sin and putting on that righteousness. Now, like for instance, let's say you struggle with laziness. Don't be the, the sluggard, right? Now, I can sing that song, lazy, or whatever it is, okay? You don't have to sing the song. I, don't, I know I'm not supposed to be lazy, so I need to think God doesn't want me to be lazy. God wants me to work. God wants me to accomplish things. I'm setting my minds on things above. Christ died for my laziness. So my mind is now oriented on things above, and now I'm going to put off the laziness. But is that enough? I need to put on the hardworking attitude. I need to go do something. I need to go do something. In Ephesians, it says, he who steals must steal no longer. Okay. But he also must work with his hands to provide for those in need. You have to do the put on part as well. And it goes on and on and on. Well, a few other obstacles that might be possible. I mentioned this earlier, but immaturity. Don't expect everyone to be perfectly mature in their walk with Christ. Be patient and gracious with them. Give them a leash. Maybe they look at this and they just feel terrible about what they did. Talk to them. Help them grow. Help them see. Sometimes there's different parenting choices. There's different parenting choices. 
and we hold those against each other, right? So someone was, was mentioning to me one time and said, look, one of, the, one of the biggest things at Countryside with our youth group that divides is where you go to school, okay? So we have a few that go to private school. Uh, we have a number that go to public school, and we have a number that are homeschooled, and we have a number that are really private schooled, but they think they're homeschooled. It's complicated, all right? They actually don't do any school at home, but they're homeschooled, all right? And in the end, did any of those kids choose that? Uh, no. <laughs> Maybe eventually as they got older, they did, but their parents did. But choices that their parents did, and which one of those is right? Here, the slide says, oh, you can do whatever you want. You trust the Lord, and as parents, you raise your kids up. And I always use the example of my youth leaders, and I'm like, hey, let's look around the room. Some of my youth leaders, homeschool. Some of them, private school. All right, they got an education. They just paid way more than the rest of you. Um, some of you, public school. Those are individual choices of parents, but the parents have, have decided to raise their kids in a certain way, and so they hold that against each other. Oh, that holy homeschooler over there. I'd never interact with him. They just sit there in that uh, you know, 15-passenger van. They don't even go outside. Oh, that pagan public school kid. They're just out there dressing up like a furry and, 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 and being transgender and stuff like that and swimming around in immorality. And the private school kid, I don't even know what to say about them. <laughs> it's, a parent, it's a parenting choice that gets put on the kid and then these kids as a, a 10, 11, 12-year-old trying to sort through these things, sort through these things. Now, there is, there's one parenting choice and one thing that really affects you that I want to take some time to walk through, okay? And that is a quick perspective on dating and courtship. Because when it comes to friendship, some of you are friends and some of you are friends, okay? And you're at a very difficult time in life where you're trying to navigate through some of these waters. And sometimes someone that was your friend wants to be more than a friend and now they're... Okay? And so the reality is, most of you do not have the gift of singleness. That means, Lord willing, one day God has planned for you to be married. And it is, marriage is a good, great, wonderful thing, all right? I'm not just saying that because my wife is, is back there, okay? That God has given to us. And that he wants us to enjoy, all right? He's made us. You wonder why teenagers kind of butt heads with parents, not you, but others, okay? It's because he's made us to grow up and to leave the home and to fill and populate the earth. That's just how he's designed us. But in that, we can't say, well, mom and dad, I'm out of here. No, no, no. We, we still do the honor and obeying and all those sorts of things, okay? But when it comes to dating, sometimes we're like, oh, that guy over there talked to a girl. And my mom said, we're not supposed to ever do that. And so then there's this, this conflict or this rift that's coming up. And, and again, sometimes this is parenting choices and decisions that we then hold against each other, all right? And so here are some questions to consider, all right? First of all, what do your parents say about dating, courtship, engagements, marriage, whatever it is? What do they say, right? Because I am not your mom, clearly. I am not your dad. They are the ones that are ultimately responsible for you. Alejandro is going to love you and shepherd you, but your parents are ultimately responsible for you. So you need to ask them, what do they say? If mom and dad say, look, you are not ready, then you're not ready. If mom and dad say no, then you say, you know what? I'm going to obey first time with a happy heart. Right? So you listen to mom and dad. Let's say that your mom and dad are saying, you know what? I'm okay if you ask them out. I'm okay if you pursue this type of relationship. I'm okay with that. What do his or her parents say? So there's a young lady that you're interested in. Your parents have given you the, the green light to talk to her, to text her, to kind of, you know, initiate some of that conversation that's there. But her parents don't want that. What do you do? God, you, you just can't pursue that. Because you have become a what to her? You become a stumbling block. 
you're trying to get her to do something that her, her parents have said no to. That's tough. And, and, it, and it goes both ways, right? It goes both ways. Are you, so here we, here we go. We got a scenario, all right? You're in high school. There's someone you're interested in. Your parents have given you the green light, all right? Her parents are okay with, you know, her, you taking her out or, or, you know, going in a group setting somewhere, something like that. Are you walking with the Lord? Are you taking care of business with the Lord? Because you know what happens, right? Uh, relationships are to be engaged in to progress towards marriage. Now, that doesn't mean the first girl you go to homecoming with, you have to marry. All right? It doesn't mean that, all right? It doesn't, the first person that you're in, whatever, doesn't mean you have to marry them, all right? That's what some they think. They don't ask someone out until they're 27 because they're like, that means I've got to bring a ring when we go out to Olive Garden, okay? It's just what they think. It, it doesn't mean that. But the, the casual, just kind of pop around and yada, yada, be some dangerous waters, okay? So the hope is that this could be something that, you know what I mean? So that means that I need to be able to lead and love her as Christ leads and love the church. And young lady, she needs to be ready to submit, right? Are you walking with the Lord? If you're not reading and growing, if you're not walking with the Lord, then no, you need to get that right. Because if you're not walking with the Lord, that relationship, heartache, immorality, all sorts of stuff, a self-absorption with just that relationship, is he or she walking with the Lord? So there's that guy, right? That guy. But his mouth, I mean, he's good looking. He'll make lots of money. But, you know, his, his attitude towards church is pretty casual. What do you think is going to happen when you get married? Magically, he's going to be the dad. Hey, family Bible study, let's go. Do you understand, young ladies, that you are to submit to your husband even if he's an unbeliever? So don't you want to make sure don't you want to make sure that this is not just, if I squint really hard, yeah, boom, I think he's a Christian. Well, then people get married, and you know what? All he wants are, are, are sports and wealth and materialism, and you're like, church. Well, you were blind as you went into things. Guys, do you not know that the majority of your time with your children is going to be spent with your wife? Don't you want someone that's going to love Jesus and push them towards Jesus? What I'm telling you is this. Looks, sure, plays a factor. Other things, they play a factor, okay? But the most important thing is their heart. The most important thing is their heart. Are they walking with the Lord? You know, how do I, how do I know that? Well, that's where it's really important to get to know people. You can ask them, do you mind if, would you share your testimony with me? Are, are, they, are they attending church, right? What's their attitude? Are they falling asleep during the lessons? Or are they taking notes? Sometimes it's that getting to know in that group setting to understand what do they talk about and what do they do. And I would say caution, people, caution, caution. Their love for Jesus needs to shine through before you would even want to do that, all right? For us, we have a ministry application, which again, you don't have to say, hey, hey, babe, I'm interested in you. Can I read your ministry application, okay? But those are things that like when Kim and I started dating in college that we shared our testimonies and we shared our philosophies of, of what we wanted a marriage to look like pretty early on. Commitments to church, service parents, okay? This will help you. Men. How does she react to her dad? Because if she's not going to obey her dad, if she's not going to honor and submit to her parents, that marriage relationship, how do you think she's going to do? Uh, young ladies, how does he treat his mom? Does he love her and respect her? She's not going to love and respect you if he doesn't love and respect her. Uh, are you cons consistently cultivating the essentials in your life? 
Are they doing that? Look, I don't have time to read, but you have time to go to the movies with her. Hmm, interesting. Are you cultivating those things? Are you mature enough to create and keep safeguards in your relationship? We, we only go with groups. We're, we're obeying what mom and dad are saying. We're staying in the light. We're not sneaking off into the dark areas. Hey, come over and watch a movie in my room. That's the stupidest thing you could think of. Are you putting those safeguards and parameters that are there? Are you mature enough to do that? And if the answer is no to any of these things on the left, then boom, put the kibosh on it. Put the kibosh on it. Are you mature enough to have this relationship and not abandon your friends, family, and ministry? Remember the whole bad ways, bad company corrupts? One of the most common pitfalls, you have a guy and a girl, and they're interested in each other, and no one else exists. And their small group friends are over there like, hey, hey, we're here. And they're just like, oh, locked in in love. And then what happens to all the, what, what am I, chopped liver? If you're not mature enough to, to still see and minister and serve and interact, pull, it, pull the plug. You should be able to enjoy that person and get to know that person, but still serve others. You know that church isn't just a dating ground, right? It's for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what you should be doing when you come on a Sunday and a Wednesday. Building up the body of Christ should not limit your reach of love. Is that young man pressuring you to violate God's commands? Is she? Hey, if you love me this, if you love me that, no, 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 no. Run from that. Run from that. Those are some questions to consider. Some tips tips and thoughts, and I'm coming to a close. I know I have a time limit on this. I want you to consider parents and their preferences. Why do parents say different things, and what is the different approach? Sometimes it's a matter of the parents' upbringing. Sometimes they went too fast or went too slow, and so they're really, remember they love you, and even though you're like, you don't know me, you don't relate. All right, they were teenagers, and you're their kids, so you look like them, (laughs) And you actually think like them, which is kind of scary, all right? So they, they've been in your shoes. And so they're here, and they're, they're wanting the best for you, all right? They're wanting the best for you. And so whether they put safeguards in place, and you're like, but come on, Dad, everyone else is doing it. And then you're like, if everyone else jumped off, okay, we've been there, right? <laughs> they love you. They're accountable for you. They, they want you to get this right. Now, personally... Right? I feel that high school is an appropriate time to start navigating these waters. And why do I tell parents that? When they, some will say, you don't even think about dating until you graduate college. I've heard that. Some would say it doesn't even happen until you get into college. And what I have encouraged parents is to think through, in high school, where do they live? In your house. So you get to help them. You get to interact with them. You get to talk with them. In college, Lord willing, they're gone. Okay? You're gone. And they're not in the same sphere as influence. I mean, a a, a 22-year-old giving them that counsel and advice versus a 16-year-old. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go home and you go, hey, mom, dad, Pastor Justin, he said it's time. It's time. I would love for your parents to talk with Alejandro. (laughs) They could even reach out to me, but what I told my youth was, I will talk to no one until they listen to the lesson. And so I asked one dad, I'm like, hey, what's your daughter say about the lesson? He goes, oh, she said it was dumb for her not to be able to date right now. And I go, listen to the lesson. What mom and dad say is what you do. In a discussion. I'm not your mom, I'm not your dad. But it's helpful in that. But if you're not going to listen to them when you navigate these waters, psh, uh-uh. Don't even think about that. You are saying, mom and dad, help me. Guide me. 
What do I need to do? What are the warning signs? What are the obsessions that you're seeing with me? And if you're not willing to do that, mm, don't even think about it. Group interaction is great. When ready, talk to your parents about what the next step might be. They might see, slow down, little buddy. You're not ready. Be honest with yourself. Call it what it is. If you see yourself getting obsessive, you know, you're just scrolling through social media and you've got 50 pictures of that person and, oh, you're not ready. Call it what it is. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't get overly obsessed with a, with a thought or with someone in that. Remember 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2? It says that men, you are to treat younger women as sisters in all purity. I've never heard someone say, I wish we would have done more physically before we got married. I've heard the opposite. I've heard the opposite. Guard your hearts. Include your own heart in that. Ultimately, trust in the Lord. Guys, does God give you good things? Absolutely. So what I'm supposed to do is Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Look, if you want to be married, wait on God. God's not gonna be like, <laughs> watch this one. They wanna get married and I'm just not gonna let it happen. Well, it might not happen until you're 30. It might happen when you're 19 for crying out loud. It's closer than you think for some of you. All right? Some of you just got really scared. Simply trust the Lord and serve him. Stop worrying. Stop trying to create something that doesn't need to happen. Just get to know people. Work with your parents. Talk through these things. Understand you're still growing and so is the one that you're interested in. Don't expect them to be perfect. Serve the Lord, grow in him, further his kingdom, and you'll be ready when his time has come. Wrapping all of this up, with your relationships, I encourage you to practice biblical friendship. When you do things God's way, God loves it. God loves it, and it is the best course for your life. If you ever think, God says this, but I think that, you are a fool. Simply do it God's way, trusting him, knowing that he is awesome. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, you are so good and kind and wonderful. Pray that we would trust you in all ways. It can be very difficult. We want to do things our own way. But we need to trust you because you are our creator and you know what's best. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.